I would dare to say that some of the most important stories go untold. That many deep hurts that are hidden behind closed curtains never come to light. I hate that there is suffering in silence. I hate that some people never feel understood about how they grew up. And I hate that some people never knew the abuse they experienced wasn't right. The Untold Story Project is a collection of stories from people who've said yes, I want to speak out to bring education, empathy, and hope to those around me. My name's Mary, and I hope you are blessed by this episode of the Untold Story Project. Gary, you're someone who's been doing so many different things in this season right now. So I want to thank you for taking time out of your very busy schedule when you're discipling so many people to talk to me and whoever's listening. So thank you. You're welcome. It's great to be here, Mary. This is awesome. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. And for those who are listening, can you kind of explain what God is calling you to in this season and what you're doing a little bit of background on you? Wow, that's a very loaded question. Um, So what God is calling me to in this season. So, you know, I help run G42. And this last semester that's ending this week, thank you, Jesus, uh, has basically been on my shoulders. Um, Andrew and Mo, as you know, live in Spain, who I do G42 with, and they couldn't be here because of COVID. And we're actually, we asked one of our leaders to actually leave and go on sabbatical. And so they've checked out. So I've been kind of running this thing and then asking the Lord, what's the future? You know, what does it look like for the world race and adventures and mission? What does it look like for G42 and our leadership school? And I'm trying to create a kind of an ecosystem in Colorado mm-hmm. Springs. I have to be there for a season of my life to serve my dad. And I have some special needs, nephews and nieces. Um, and so I want to build out part of what we do there. And so a lot, yeah, a lot happening. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a crazy season where so many things are changing and shifting and, and no we're getting answers. squeezed a little bit. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. no, you're doing a lot of things. And so with working with G42 and a number of different places, you have discipled a lot of people over the course of your lifetime. I have. And a big part of that has been vulnerability and sharing your story. Mm. Can you describe kind of the process and when you started this journey into vulnerability and sharing pieces of your life with other people? Absolutely. That's a great question, Mary. I think um, I have made vulnerability one of my five value words. Wow. Now that was just only happened in the last few years. And so I'll describe that. I had a ministry in the nineties called rock the nations that turned into the call. I was the chairman of the board of the call and then turned into the send and uh, one, the, the ministry one came out of that. A lot of things came out of that. And then we were out of ministry for a little while, did a lot of business stepped back in and, and kind of founded and helped do the world race with Seth Barnes and Andrew Shearman and Tom Davis. And that was incredible because Lisa and I, my wife and I were the only, the first coaches and we moved to Swaziland, Africa with our six kids. As we all know, the world race kind of blew up and it was incredible. We were sending a thousand, blew up in a good way, a thousand yeah. kids a year around the world. And then we had to step out of that. We got kicked out of Africa and we went back to Colorado Springs from Swaziland And I was out of the world race for about five years total, like completely just focusing on my own kids and business and creating some income and that kind of thing. Coming back in to the world race, I literally saw a generation had changed its whole language 
over the last five to seven years that I had been in full-time wow. ministry. And one of the ways that you guys are communicated to is vulnerability. And in fact, you don't really care how cool I am and what I did in my past, right? And when I'm teaching the G42 students or wherever, it, they don't care about what I've done or what I've seen. They want to know they have me. They want to know that I'm in the room, I'm available, and, uh, and I'm going to be vulnerable. I, I have a limp and I'm going to share some of that. And so what I realized is I had to learn a new language uh, for a generation that's worth it, right? For us as older, as elders and old people, right? We have to change our language. We have to listen a lot better and instead of talking and trying to fix things. And so what I've learned to do is, is listen and then be really vulnerable with my story and some of the really hard things that have happened, which again, I've created most of those hard things, right? The scripture says, fall on the rock or the rock's going to fall on you. <laughs> I've had to have a rock fall on me a few times uh, just yeah. because of my ego or because I just wasn't listening and that kind of thing. And so key to be vulnerable, um, especially when you're working with the next generation. And what was the hardest part for you in that journey of starting to open up in vulnerability? I never saw it modeled. So when I was a kid and, and growing up, you weren't vulnerable, especially as a man, right? Mm -hmm. You just, my dad was a cowboy, literally. He rode cow bulls and fucking broncos. And his job was to break horses from like 14 on. And as a cowboy, you did not cry. You didn't show vulnerability. You yeah. broke something, you got up and got over it and, and you just kept moving. And um, so for me to have to learn it, was literally like learning a new language. Yeah. Uh, and then seeing how safe that was though and how incredible and incredibly uh, accepted that you can be if you're just you and you're just honest and you can just be. And now you're not vulnerable with everybody, obviously. You need to know who you're talking to. But I've learned it's just becomes a huge part of what who I am and, and my value, my whole value system. So you've seen this shift and been in multiple situations from a lack of vulnerability to a lot of vulnerability. What is some of the fruit that has come out of that? I think just connecting at a heart level with people. I mean, for you and I, Mary, we've become very good friends, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's been over the last couple of years. We were in Spain together. Yeah. Uh, and then we've been on this crazy camp in North Georgia together. And we've walked through some healing with one another and, yeah. and shared our story. And we had to be really vulnerable with one another in getting to healing, right? You walked through some things just recently yeah. that your heart's come alive in. For the first time, right? Yeah. And so when I'm vulnerable, it opens up a door with people that trust me or are learning to trust me to be really vulnerable as well. And mm -hmm. I feel like when we can get into the mud of our lives together, out of vulnerability, then we can walk into healing um, instead of just staying stuck. And it's if I came to you, Mary, and I would have looked at you and said, just get over yourself. You're fine. You'd go, okay. But you would have been hurt. And you would have said, that's nice. But how do I do that? Now I stop and I really want to listen to Mary's heart and what's happening in, with her whole life. And how do I get her out of her head, right? Yeah. <laughs> more into her heart, <clears throat> the longest journey we'll ever take. And then, um, and then when I'm vulnerable too, in the midst of that, then, then we get somewhere. Yeah. And at least in my experience from a lot of walking through healing with you, um, healing comes way quicker when you're actually more vulnerable and open up to sharing pieces of your life that perhaps you haven't talked about before. Absolutely. So. And, and, and there's no way to get to healing without risk. And we risk by, be, by trusting again, yeah. by being vulnerable again. And the way we keep our, keep our hearts open to one another and to the Father and just life mm -hmm. is by risking. 
people have hurt us. People have damaged us. They've hurt our hearts. And yeah. guess what? We get to keep risking and trusting. And again, people that we we're building with. I'm a, I'm really a big guy now. It's, if it's not relational to me, I don't want to do it. So if it feels transactional, like you're doing something for me so I can give you something. I don't like that. I like relational, right? Where we're just going to get into the mud and, and we're just human and we're limited and yeah. we're weak and we're needy and we need one another. And when we're okay with that, we can actually get the healing. That's so good. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> it really is. It's like, I think it changes the, the world if we could learn how to do this with one another. What would you say to someone who is afraid to be vulnerable, but feels that perhaps they might need to be? Oh my goodness. I would say it's hard, really hard. And uh, again, I had to learn as a grown man how to be vulnerable. Sometimes I get too vulnerable. Like I think this semester when I do my heart week uh, at G42, I share a story of my silence is what put insecurity and rejection on my daughters. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is when I was angry with them, when they would come in the room, I wouldn't tell them I was angry. I would just be silent. And they were all of a sudden becoming insecure <clears throat> and rejected. And I was like, gosh, our girls are so insecure. And my wife tried to kept telling me that's because you're silent. And a lot of men now, a lot of dads go silent because they don't, they don't win. They're doing okay at work, but at home it's hard and it's hard with our kids. And sometimes yeah. our marriages are really hard. And so men just go silent. And what the father wants is men that are not silent and men that are exposing their heart and being vulnerable with their own children yeah. and saying, man, daddy just doesn't know. And guess what? It's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay to not know. In fact, mm -hmm. that's really freeing. I say, I don't know a lot more than I, than I say I know now, right? And so, yeah, I think that's it. I think we, we, we've got to risk and we've got to allow people to get climb back in that, those really tender spaces in our heart and just be extremely honest. And then trust that the father's going to make that up on the back end. And I just want to say, I love your heart for our generation. Mm. On behalf of people who are my age, like we really appreciate your mentorship and your intentionality to mm. speak life into us and to even admit, you know, places where people in your generation have fallen through or perhaps we feel hurt. I think that's a really selfless thing to look at a people group that's like completely outside of yourself and yeah. related to you and um, say, I'm going to pour into this generation and these people and see them well. And yeah. you do that and we can see the fruit of that. So well, thank, thank you. you. I, I think that's the only way there's a multi-generational movement that God wants to do. And Malachi four, five, and six is my theme of my life is God wants to take the hearts of parents and turn them to children yeah. and children's hearts and turn them back and he'll break the curse. Well, we talk a lot about generational curses. I think God wants to start generational blessing in our families where the curses Amen. are broken, right? And he, Jesus broke the curse for us in Galatians 3. We have to apply that. But then now I want your generation to not put divorce on your kids. Don't put pornography on your kids. Put the blessings of God and what he's doing in your life. And the only way that comes is that I have to take responsibility for what we did as the church. As a father, an older person in the church, you know, we lied to you guys about what salvation means. We didn't tell you what gospel was. And we made up all these fear-based things out of scripture that aren't even real scripture, just out of our own fear. And so I want to take responsibility for that. I want to, I want to repent to you as a generation. And then I want us to work together to get the truth yeah. and search scripture together and search life together yeah. and find out that 
that we win this thing and there's a lot of hope and that we actually get to build this kingdom thing, this thing called kingdom together as generation. Amen. Yeah. I'm excited to build this too. Yeah. <laughs> I know you are. That's why I'm sitting here. I love your heart, Mary. Come on. Well, thank you. And I've heard you talk about a fatherless generation and that spirit and those occurrences that have been prevalent and especially our generation and the world as it is now. So can you kind of define what you mean or what you've seen in yeah. that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, 70, I think it's 77% of African-American homes or black American homes are fatherless. 60 some percent of Hispanic homes are fatherless. More than 50% of Caucasian homes in America, the dads have just left. And a lot of the dads that mm. are home, like we talked about, are silent. And so what that means is there's a gap that happens in a young person's heart when dad doesn't show up. When dad walks in the room, the whole room should shift and become safe and become joyful because dad's here. What has happened in our generation is that our dads didn't know that. And all they knew was work. So they gave themselves to ministry or to work mm -hmm. and they became workaholics or alcoholics and nobody talked about it. There wasn't the Facebook and all the social media back then. And so the, the you know, the boomers can kind of criticize real easily, but if they're honest with themselves, they created a, a real hole, a gap in fatherlessness where they weren't fathered. You know, the young men don't know how to change oil and change a tire. My own 23-year-old son on the phone the other day, we lost a 19-year-old son and Friday was his birthday, would have been his birthday. And all my kids were kind of breaking down at different levels. And my 23-year-old okay. son said, Daddy, I just need more of you. Will you just, can you just be present. I don't need you to do anything. We don't have to fish. We don't have to, I just need more of my daddy and in tears, you know, and I, and for me, that kills me because I give all my time, effort and energy to the yeah. next generation. And my own kids still need daddy just to be around and not be some famous guy or some other guy, but just be daddy. Right. Yeah. And so when we figure that out as fathers, that we initiate other kids, you can't initiate your own kids. And that's a whole other podcast. If we ever want to get into it. I want to stand in the gap for Mary's parents. Not that they were bad or they missed it, but it takes another person sometimes to speak truth into our own kids. And they go, oh, wow. and our parents go like, as a dad, when my kids tell me something somebody said to them and they finally got it, I'm like, I've been saying that to you for 30 years, right? <laughs> but I rejoice now because I want that gap to be filled by other dads and moms that well, maybe they need a second chance. Maybe they didn't do it great with their kids. But now they can. Now they can speak life into the next generation and fill those gaps. And so fatherlessness is a real deal. I think it's the number one epidemic in America. Um, I think that's why you, we, we have so much violence right now in the politics. It's taken over in politics. And it's just, it's, it's wrecking uh, the inner cities. It's wrecking all of America. And so we need dads and moms to step up. So that's a lot to talk about. I like the phrasing that you've used of dads going silent because... You know, that's that's good language to what we see today yeah. and brings some clarity, I think, too, on both ends that you can even have, you know, a physical father figure in your home. But if they're not engaged or speaking up or acting out or being vulnerable is the key. Yeah. For, you know, for me, again, with my daughters, I didn't realize it. Then the Lord showed me as I'm reading this right. heart document that I had put that on them just by being silent. So I went back to my daughters and got on my knees and repented to them. And we call it ademic silence. Adam was silent in the garden 
when Eve was about ready to eat the fruit. Yeah. And he could should have spoke up and said, that's my woman, get away, right? And we yeah. as, as dads, sometimes we don't feel adequate, so we just stay silent. And the and the and the God and God's going, no, we need you men to speak up, not in anger, right? We either transmit our anger on our family and our kids, or we're transformed by our anger and we become somebody better and different. And then I want my voice to speak up because if I'm not saying it, some other, you know, whoever out there might be saying it to my little girl or my my son, and I don't want that to happen. So yeah. I want to be able to speak words of affirmation and of life and of discipline because I've built trust. And then I want to be really vulnerable. Dad's really weak here and dad's afraid of this. And, and, and my kids now know my weaknesses and, and they celebrate that with me. Yeah. So that's, that's a big part of it. Yeah. And it's hard to have trust without vulnerability. And so it's yeah. important in a family dynamic as well. Yes. Absolutely. Do you mind if I ask you about your own family and your father? No, please. Please, okay. please. Have you had to walk through this with your father as well? Absolutely. So my dad, like I said, was a cowboy. He didn't know. His dad was an alcoholic who tried to kill him, did kill his mom, um, would pull guns and pull the trigger and it wouldn't go off. And so he lived through that. He left home at 18 with $25 from Nebraska. And so then he had three kids and I was the baby. He had no idea how to be a dad. So he was angry. You know, we got knocked through a few garages, but I'm writing a book right now actually about times that the father's heart would show up in my dad and it would overcome what I was going through. And I've got all these stories that I didn't even realize, but looking back, God used my dad in so many awesome ways. And he's 81 now and we're best friends. We're both eight on the Enneagram. So we love getting in arguments and we argue scripture all the time because we do not see scripture completely the same way. And everybody else leaves the room, but it's just intimacy and fun for us. Right? So yeah, there was a huge gap there for a long time. And then I made promises that I'd never raise my kids the way he raised me. And then, of course, you find yourself raising your kids the same way. Be careful what you say and how you judge your parents. Be quick to forgive because what you'll find when you become a parent, you start doing the same exact things. And you literally catch yourself like, what are you doing? Right. So I was angry and I was silent and I was all the things that I promised I'd never be. And then I had to recognize that and go back and fix that. So it's never too late. But my kids still are, they struggle. I I think all the time if, you know, I hear all these young people's stories, hundreds of young people's stories. I think my child could be sitting here saying this same thing to me, right? So I want to make sure that even now getting into my mid fifties, that my grown children, they're 18 to 30, five left, that um, I'm just in it with them and I'm just listening and I don't need to be right anymore. I don't need to fix them. I need to listen to them. I need to be really vulnerable with them. And then I need to give them just wisdom that God's giving me and point them to the Father. And I would say this to all young parents. Don't point them to yourself. Always point them back to God. And don't steal the hunt from your children. Go let them figure some things out. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. Were you angry at your father growing up? I was. I was. A lot of anger. A lot of disappointment. uh, And it took us a while to work through all that. But we did. Yeah, because you said you're best friends with your father now. We are best friends today. And (laughs) I'm moving back to Colorado Springs to be with him, to help him end well. Wow. Um, Because, uh, yeah, it's just incredible. But it it took a long time. And now, you know, with my son's death, my mom, my sister, my brother have all passed away in the last three years. So he and I are the only two left in our, you know, nucleus family. 
Yeah. And um, and we need each other. And we know we're needy. And my dad at 81 will say, I don't know now. You know, and I'm like, this is awesome, right? So yeah. so don't ever give up on those relationships. Yeah. No, that relationship's something definitely to celebrate. I'm very happy for you. Thank you. And what were some of the first steps that you had to take in that reconciliation process? You know, I had to be really honest with him. And I had to, uh, I'll never forget. It started when I was 16. I got kicked off the basketball team and um, because of my grades. And I was sitting behind the bench and I was really ticked off at my coach because I didn't think, of course, I was a victim and I shouldn't have been kicked off. So I'm just going to leave the game early because we're losing. And I'm walking out of the gym and my dad's arm comes around me. Now, my dad, had he never came to my games because he was always working. So there was no way that he would be at this game and know that I got kicked off. And there he was. So I'm like, oh, my gosh. He puts his arm around me and he says, get home. And I'm literally thinking, how can I die before I get in the doorway? And he was standing in the kitchen with his arms crossed. And he looked at me and I knew he was just going to start going off. So I started screaming at my dad. Like, I think it was Holy Spirit. I started telling him how I could never live up. I could never be good enough for him, that he's ruined us as kids. I mean, I was just screaming and crying. And he just stood there and listened to me with his arms crossed and his scowl. And when I got all done, he had tears running down his face. And he looked at me and he said, you know, son, I could line up all your friends and not know you were them. And I choose you every single time to be my son. And he started telling me why. And so that was the first time he and I had the encounter of a father's heart to me from him. But I took some, but I, I had to, I got, just got brave, I think by Holy Spirit. And I just told him. Wow. And so that's how it started. Literally. And we had a few encounters like that, but yeah. What would you say to other people who are looking for reconciliation with their fathers and haven't taken any steps yet? Yeah. Number one, you just, you've got to forgive, right? It's the only commandment that comes with the promise. If you honor them, it goes well for you. Now, it doesn't say you've you got to honor them because they're perfect, because they're not. Every family's dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. So number one is you do have to find forgiveness and release them. And a lot of times they don't even know how to do this. Most men my age, you know, the number one suicide rate or one of the number one in America now is 50-year-old men, white men, because they get to 50-ish and all the stuff they built mean nothing mm -hmm. because it's not around what the father was asking them to do. And so they feel empty. And they feel alone. So for me, it's that you you've don't expect them to be perfect in it because they won't. But come to them in your vulnerability as a as their child, and just say, Dad, this is I, I want you to forgive me because I have not always been there like I should have been probably. Mm -hmm. And I just want relationship with you, whatever that looks like. And I and I want you to help me determine that. And if you come in that kind of vulnerability and humility, I don't know any dad that's not going to respond to that at some level. And again, don't get expectation out the window of how you think they should respond yeah. because most men don't know how. They've never shown. Men my age were never shown how to do this. Very few of us. And so, yeah, don't expect a lot, but go. But you have to initiate that if they're not going to. That's tough. Yeah. That's a lot of bravery, but <laughs> it's worth <laughs> a it. good encouragement. It's yeah. worth it. It really is. And, and now, again, there's been, you know, physical abuse and, you know, lots of abuse and some of our families. And I understand that. And it's really difficult to open your heart back up to that. And so I'm not mm -hmm. saying be stupid about it. And, and But if you know that, that your heart's crying out for relationship with your parents, then take that first step of not fixing them and not needing them to do something, but being vulnerable and asking for their forgiveness. 
for some of the things you've had in your heart towards them. I, I tell you, I teach this all the time. The number one way we break addiction in our lives mm-hmm. is when we get accusation towards God out of our heart. That's good. We all have accusation in our heart towards God. You didn't do this. This person didn't live. Why does this person have cancer? You know, all the things we accuse God of doing mm-hmm. in, a, in a fallen world where really bad things happen to really good people because we're in a fallen world, right? When we can deal with that accusation and then we can deal with that accusation on our hearts towards our parents, then God starts to heal things and we don't even have to do it. Like we're just shocked that God, all of a sudden dad picked up the phone and called me or text me and just wants to go have a date. And you're like, what? No, right? Because God does it. And something I've been thinking about lately, whether it's about work or relationships or other things is praying into like, what is my part to do and acting out in that. But you can't, you can't really control results of anything to be honest. And of course we are looking for results in relationships and building relationships or, you know, if you're doing work to build a business or whatever it may be, all we're asked to do is what we can do, you know, and results are up to God and submitting those to the father of those expectations, at least for me, provides so much freedom. So I love that. Yeah. That's how we get to freedom. We we live a life of confession, 1 John 1, 9. If I confess, my heart gets healed, Mm -hmm. and then forgiveness. And I've got to just, I got to be the first to forgive every time. And that's really hard because of the things that have been done to us. Yeah. No, that takes a lot of humility, but that's important. That's good. Yeah, that's (laughs) real important. So thinking back to maybe when you were younger, what do you think you needed at that time in considering your family situation and your relationship with your parents? Just time. And I, and I think that, um, you know, like I said, my dad was not, my mom was amazing. She was an angel and she was all, she, but she coddled us. And I think one of the, one of the issues with the generation now, your generation specifically, is that it's been over coddled, not necessarily spoiled, but you, you, there's no, nobody has any needs and you don't have to wait on anything. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I love, I love what Gary Vaynerchuk teaches he's like if you're still if you're 18 and still on your parents cell phone plan you can't be happy and most people go, what like and then when my 25 26 year old g42 kids call me and i see their dad's name come up that's the first thing i always say to them right you're still on daddy's cell phone plan okay right it's taking yeah young men especially want responsibility young women want value right Mm -hmm. and so we don't think we want responsibility but when we get it we we step up to it and someone like you, Mary, you're, you know, you are an anomaly in your generation. I mean, you're a worker. You're not afraid to work. You, and, and again, this isn't against your generation. Just we haven't given this value to you guys. Yeah. And so when you're coddled or over coddled, like, and I was by my mom, I expected people to do stuff for me instead of going and doing it myself. And that's what I mean by don't steal the hunt from your kids. When my kids would come to me and say, hey, dad, I need a go-kart. And I'd say, okay, great. I'm in for half. So tell me how you're going to pay for half of this. So they'd go shovel alpaca poop or, you know, whatever at 12 years old, at 15 years old to buy a motorcycle. So I wanted them to feel the value of what that was and they'd take better care of it. Right. Yeah. And so that's what we have to do. And and, um, we've got to learn that value of hard work. And I love watching that. And you global, you guys, it's awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Sometimes when I'm interacting with other people, especially young men, I'm afraid to put responsibility on other people or give them or call them into that responsibility because I'm like, oh no, they're probably, you know, not going to like that or backlash or whatever that is. But really seeing or listening to you and Lisa, I know, talk about this as well. And then seeing some of the results of that when that does happen, when people are called into the responsibilities that God has called them to and own that. 
so many people, especially young men, come alive. And yeah, that's something I'd love to see. That's when your heart activates, right? I yeah. can do this. Oh my gosh, my dreams are valid. My yeah. everything is okay. It would take somebody else speaking that into us. We have to it activate. Does. I was walking in the mountains of Mijas because you know our school used to be in Spain, as you know, and you guys were there with us. And the Lord whispered to me, he said, there's hundreds of thousands of people in the second and third row of every church that have never been activated. Nobody's ever prophetically looked into them and told them who they were. And so I feel like part of my role in, in life is to look at the Marys of the world and say, this is who you are. This is what I can see in you. Right. And then you go, wait, what? Really? Like, and then that comes alive and activates. And now here's some responsibility. Go, go do something with this. Yeah. And, and I'll walk with you, but I'm not going to do it for you. And you just see young people in your generation specifically come alive like crazy. And I love that. That's why I do what I do. Yeah. That's my paycheck. I honest. love that. Yeah, we're in this together. That's <laughs> right. a huge dream I have too, to let people know that these things that God put on their hearts, that they have permission to really go after that. Yes. And I know you've helped me connect to God in that. And I can't thank you enough because mm. that realization really changed my life. And I definitely pray that over our students in Global U and really any anyone that I come across. Yes. So, and you've helped good. me because honestly, like I watch your heart come alive and that makes my heart come alive. And so reverse mentoring and yeah. doing this together is the point, right? It, it, it heals and feeds us both. That's so beautiful. Have, yeah. <laughs> we have to do it. Yeah. Um, well, it's been put on my heart that maybe we can pray for everyone listening and just kind of like our generation for families to come together and that people can be ignited in their calling. Yes. Can we do that? that? Yep, absolutely. I'll pray. Sounds great. All right. Father, in Jesus name, I know your whole point is to get your family back. All you care about is getting your family back. And I know the, the story of the prodigal son. The father had a path worn out waiting for his son to come home, even though, although it was illegal for him to run down that driveway. And he didn't know if his son was wealthy. He didn't know if his son was broke. He didn't know if his son was a homosexual. He didn't know anything about his son, but he waited every day with arms wide open and he ran to him. And Father, I know uh, you're wanting to run to everyone listening and just hold them and speak life into them and to bring, to activate those dreams and to heal their families. And Father, in Jesus' name, I ask where any of us listening need to forgive that God, you'd put that in there. We've tried so many times, maybe we sat there and said, God, why can't I do this? Father, would you supernaturally help each one of us get to forgiveness right away? God, I want to be a man. I want to be a man that forgives quicker than anyone. And I pray that through the Lord's prayer through Matthew 6 every day. I pray that over the people listening. God, would you restore families where they need to be restored? Would you call back prodigal children where they need to be called back? And Father, would you teach us how to love one another from our hearts in a deep, deep way that that God will start to change uh, everyone who sees us and everyone that's around us? Because all we want to do is make everyone's heart look like the Garden of Eden. And in fact, that's our only job. And so God, thank you that you love us. And that's the only reason we're here. And then we get to love others the same way in Jesus name. Amen. God. And I just pray that we as children on earth learn what it means to be a good son or daughter to you, but then also to our earthly parents as Mm. well, that we are able to step into bravery and courage depending on, you know, whatever situation 
we might have grown up in. So yeah, I just pray that we as children are activated in that. Hmm. Yes, God, do that. Amen. Amen. Wow. Cool. Well, thanks, Gary. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So there's so many things that we can talk about. So much wisdom that you have and that the Lord's given to you and how he's written your story. And we'd love to bring you back on sometime to maybe talk more. I would love that. Yeah, I I think I want to make sure and come back and talk about just, I had to go through some really hard things in life to get to a place of that second half of life and the transformation. Yeah. And I want to save literally people a decade off their life if they'll do it better and and, and more successful than I did. And when you're a second half of life person, you just want everyone else to be successful and go way beyond you. And so I'd love to talk about that sometime with you. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. I'm so excited. I'll be looking forward to it. And if you know anyone listening wants to learn more about your ministry and what God's calling you to do and just what you have, where can they go to Just GaryandLisaBlack.com. Very simple. Everything is there. Our coaching stuff pops up first, but our the ministries and the stuff we're touching and where we're going and living and we kind of go all over the world when we can, when COVID goes away in Jesus' name. So yeah, GaryandLisaBlack.com. That's it. Awesome. And I'll put that in the notes. So Fantastic, Mary. Thank, Thank you. you. Yes, yeah. you're awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. And if this episode could bring education, empathy, or hope to those you know, go ahead and share our link. Also, if you have an untold story that you'd like to share, we'd love to meet you. Please apply to be a guest on our podcast at untoldstoryproject.org.